We're on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. To the bat poles. May the force be with you. Who is that mask? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. Before we begin today's discussion, here is some genre-related news. Merchandise for Black Panther Wakanda Forever has seemingly revealed the Marvel Cinematic Universe's version of Namor the Submariner. Shared by MCU Facility on Twitter, the artwork depicts the Atlantean hero who has been rumored to make his live-action debut in that film. If authentic, this art could be the first look at the design and costume for the MCU's version of the character. Tanakh Huerta has been rumored to portray Namor. The actor trolled fans this week on his Twitter page. Leaked plot details of Wakanda Forever indicate that there will be a conflict between Atlantis and Wakanda, possibly over the Wakandan Vibranium. None of this has been confirmed by Marvel. Black Panther Wakanda Forever opens in theaters on November 11, 2022. A new trailer dropped this week for Warner Brothers Animation's first ever all-CG animated feature-length film, Battle of the Super Sons. You can check it out on one of the Fantastic Forum social media pages. And while you're there, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and like us on Facebook. We like to be followed and we love to be liked. Battle of the Super Sons is coming to 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray Combo Pack, Blu-ray and Digital, on October 18th, 2022. Some anniversaries this week, as July 8th marked 65 years since the formation of Hanna-Barbera Cartoons Incorporated, the American animation studio and production company produced animated and live-action programming up until 2001. It was absorbed into Warner Brothers Animation and collapsed into Cartoon Network Studios. Hanna-Barbera created many well-known cartoon characters including Yogi Bear, Huckleberry Hound, Space Ghost, Tom and Jerry, and Hong Kong Fooey. The studio produced such well-known cartoons as The Flintstones, The Jetsons, Johnny Quest, Scooby-Doo Where Are You, Josie and the Pussycats, and Super Friends, among many, many others. The studio also produced commercials, after-school and primetime specials, animated specials and telefilms, live-action television films and specials, direct-to-video and theatrical feature films. And Walt Disney Pictures' Tron opened in theaters 40 years ago on July 9, 1982. The film was one of the first to extensively use computer-generated imagery. Amber Heard's lawyers on Friday asked for a mistrial in the Johnny Depp defamation case after the discovery that the wrong juror showed up in court. 
Heard's attorneys say they learned one of the seven jurors had not received a jury summons. Instead, the summons went to a person in the same household and with the same last name, but who is 25 years older. The juror names were redacted from the filing, and it is unclear what the relationship is. If the wrong person appeared, Heard's lawyers would not have had the opportunity to perform a criminal background check or investigate the juror's social media posts to look for potential biases. It is not yet clear how the court will handle this juror situation. Some sad news this week as Takahashi Hasuki was found dead at sea on July 6th. Kasuki, an Inkpot award-winning manga artist, was best known as the creator of Yu-Gi-Oh! He was 60 years old. And James Caan passed away on July 6th. The actor appeared in many genre-related productions over his career, including Alien Nation, the 1974 original Rollerball, Eraser, Dick Tracy, Lathe of Heaven, Elf, and Countdown. He was 82. Finally, Robert C. Harvey died on July 7th. Harvey was an Inkpot award-winning author, critic, and cartoonist, and had a regular column in the Comics Journal. He also wrote a number of books on the history and theory of cartooning, with a special emphasis on comic strips. He was 65. Excuse me, he was 85. Yikes. And if you happen to be in the listening area, BlurredCon is taking place this weekend at the Hyatt Regency Crystal City Hotel. An annual multi-genre convention, the convention's name comes from the word blurreds, a term for black nerds, and was founded by Hilton George. BlurredCon, nevertheless, aims to be diverse and inclusive. The convention runs through tomorrow. You can get more information via the website BlurredCon.com. That is B-L-E-R-D-C-O-N.com. Thor, Love and Thunder opened to a robust 65.9 million at the domestic box office, including Thursday previews. The film is projected to earn over $135 million this weekend. Today, we're talking about some of those news items and more. But first, here is the official spoiler-free FF review of Thor, Love and Thunder. Ulysses Campbell for Fantastic Forum. Thor, Love and Thunder, the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 4 offering, is an action-adventure comedy romance. There was way too much comedy and not nearly enough of the other stuff. However, it sticks to the established MCU formula enough that audiences will find it an enjoyable movie-going experience. Thor is traveling with the Guardians of the Galaxy, essentially in retirement. Their adventures are interrupted by the appearance of the galactic killer, Gore, the God Butcher, who seeks the destruction of the gods. Thor returns to Earth and enlists the help of Valkyrie, now ruling the Asgardians, and Korg. To his surprise, Thor finds that his ex-girlfriend, Jane Foster, now inexplicably wields his enchanted hammer, Mjolnir, as the mighty Thor. Together, 
the group embarks upon a quest to discover the secret of the God Butcher's vengeance and stop him before he annihilates all the pantheons of gods in the universe. As still images and clips from this movie were released, I became more and more excited about it. Comic book movies seem to work better when based on an adaptation, and the Lady Thor storyline from noted writer Jason Aaron was one that was particularly well received by fans. While I enjoyed Thor Love and Thunder, I found it terribly disappointing. For me, it failed to live up to the promise of the source material. Also, the comedic elements totally overwhelmed everything else. Personally, I thought that Taika Waititi took it over the top during his previous work on 2017's Thor Ragnarok. But that movie remained serious enough to preserve the dramatic story elements. Worse still, the film begins wonderfully. The introductory backstory on Gore suggests that Thor Love and Thunder will go in a different direction altogether. And then, jokes! I haven't seen a movie make a greater left turn after an opening sequence since The Fifth Element. And it's really unfortunate, as all the components are present, to have made an exceptional movie. Starting with the cast, which is excellent. Great actors and actresses who do their best with the material they've been given. The film stars Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, Christian Bale, Tessa Thompson, and Taika Waititi. Appearing in supporting roles are Russell Crowe, Jamie Alexander, Chris Pratt, Dave Bautista, Karen Gillian, Palm Clementif, Sean Gunn, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, and Karan L. Dyer. There are also several well-known performers who appear in some surprising and entertaining cameo roles. The performances of Natalie Portman, Christian Bale, and Tessa Thompson stood out for me. Also, that of young actor Kieran L. Dyer is noteworthy. There were so many lost opportunities with this movie. It is obvious that Taika Waititi is a very talented director. I think after the success of his work on Ragnarok, he perhaps was given too much latitude and creative freedom. Although I can see the vision, a lot of what he has attempted in Thor Love and Thunder just fell flat. I was pleased that, unlike Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, this movie wasn't overly beholden to or dependent upon any of the other MCU films or television series. Of course, the effects were top-notch. I also enjoyed the Easter eggs that so many other fans of the comic source material will recognize. And I'm sure some will adore the movie for Chris Hemsworth's bare bottom. Be sure to stick around for the mid- and post-credit scenes. Michael Giacchino provides his usual high-quality musical score. Okay, my last bit of disappointment. Gore, the God Butcher, was a terrific comic supervillain, on par with the antagonist Thor battled back in the Silver Age stories from Lee and Kirby. And when I learned that Christian Bale had been engaged to play the character, I was ecstatic. This could have been, should have been, so much more intense and dramatic than what was portrayed here. It's simply a terrible waste. Thor, Love and Thunder, runs two hours and five minutes, which is, of course, brisk for this genre. It's rated PG-13 for intense sequences of sci-fi violence and action, language, some suggestive material, and partial nudity. Pretty much standard Marvel Cinematic Universe fare that checks all the prerequisite boxes. But too much humor stifles what could have been an intense, dramatic story with some action, romance, and real consequences. Looks great on the big screen, but you can feel free to wait for this one to stream on Disney+. Plus. 
one and a half stars out of four. Ulysses Campbell for Fantastic Four. And there you have it, the official FF review of Thor, Love and Thunder, starring Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, Christian Bale, and Tessa Thompson, which opened in theaters nationwide yesterday. Looks like it's going to make a lot of money, too. I, I wasn't that taken with it, but... Hey, you know, I mean, it's one of those, it is what it is kind of things. I've noted that a lot of fans seem to be giving it the usual, what I call Marvel pass. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, time to introduce today's panel. Joining me are Roberto Ortiz, Drew Bittner, and Mike Lunsford. Hey. Everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad, glad to be here. Appreciate everything that everybody did. <laughs> Wow. To make it work. And yeah. people, you have no idea what goes on behind the scenes here. <laughs> Let me tell you. Yep. So um, before, well, actually, there was uh, ah, there were a couple of things that I had just kind of kicked around that I had wanted to talk about today. But um, before we get too deep into it, I did want to ask you all about, I mean, since uh, since all of us are guys of a certain age on this show, yeah. How about this Hanna Barbera anniversary? I was that one snuck up on me. I'm like, Hanna Barbera has been a well, excuse me. They 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 actually disappeared as an individual studio back in 2001, having been first absorbed into um, Warner Brothers yep. and then into Cartoon Network. Yep. But that's a heck of a thing that 65 years ago, yesterday. Hanna Barbera, Joseph Hanna, and um, William Barbera. William Barbera. There you go. And some of this, I mean, I, I even as I was putting the copy together, I, I was thinking, I just you can't do justice <laughs> to what they have done. I mean, you know, the the roll call of characters and stuff that they did. I mean, even. The TV intros, stuff like the intro for Bewitched, you know, was done by Hanna Barbera. You know, that's that was a TV show for all you young people who may not have heard about it. But the weird thing is that people underestimate that the fact that how important they were in terms of the industry of animation, especially adult animation. Hmm? Uh, for example, The Flintstones was the first primetime uh, cartoon show. The Flintstones, basically now people think, ah, that's for kids. But back in the day, kind of like the Looney Tunes, where uh, the intended audience, when it, they came out in the 1940s, 40s, 40s, and 50s, they were mm -hmm. basically adults. The uh, Simpsons, basically, who was an option, basically a remake of the Honeymooners, uh, was a primetime cartoon. Yeah. It was for adults. It was for the general audience. And it's weird to ignore the fact that the Simpsons and the adult uh, family guy and the adult animation that we have now is heavily in depth to what Hanna-Barbera did back in the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, really, and, and not just them. I mean, a lot of the action kind of cartoons. Yeah. I mean, Johnny you know, Quest. So, something yeah, I was going to say, because Johnny Quest, was, when it actually debuted, was a nighttime show. Hmm. You know, I mean, this was something, you know, because I mean, I, I only became aware of it on Saturday mornings, and it was one of the cartoons that came on later on Saturday mornings. Yeah. It was like a 12 o'clock or 12.30 one, you know? But apparently it had been on, and this was, geez, this was the late 60s. I mean, don't start me to lie in exactly what year it was. But 
Johnny Quest, when it debuted, I want to say it came on on like Sunday nights or something, but you know, it was, uh, I mean, and relatively early at 7 30 or something, but you know, still, I mean, it was a, <laughs> it was close to being a primetime show. And, yeah. the, and the thing is basically is the contribution of people like Jack Kirby. I mean, look at the talent they had behind the scenes. A lot of X6 animators. They had people like Jack Kirby, Alex Todd, basically doing. Uh, uh, the great Alex Toth. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> and that's, talk about a, a person that most people who are geeks should know who the heck he is yeah. because they have no idea how much they owe to that guy. I mean, there's there's one thing that sticks out to me about the Flintstones and it's kind of a little thing, but I think that it was the first cartoon to actually have a couple having a baby. Yeah. You know, hmm. and that was in prime time. And, it surely was. And they didn't have pregnancy as a thing back in the 60s. That's true, know, especially so, cartoon yeah. characters. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you weren't even allowed to talk about it because like, yeah. I remember, like Lucy, like on I Love Lucy, she wasn't even allowed to talk about yeah. that she was pregnant. They would have, I can't even remember what they said, like, but they had to use all these replacement phrases and stuff. And like, to think that Hanna-Barbera was the test bed for this sort of like forward thinking, you know, God forbid you mention a woman is pregnant, but like, I know. Yeah, I, just, I loved I loved Hanna Barbera cartoons as a kid. I mean, shoot, I still love them now as an adult. Like, and they and they really like, with the exception of a few things that are outdated. For the <laughs> most part, it's pretty. They, they still hold up pretty good. Yes, and it it got me that like you know in in a way the Flintstones always struck me as possibly a post Holocaust metaphor like you know <laughs> bomb bomb people back to the stone age and this is the kind of life we'll have. Whereas the Jetsons is sort of like the post polluted world it's like you know everyone's above the level of pollution or whatever they're all living in the clouds and so I, I, and two different one of the reasons of the, i the love future. having you on this show you're listening <laughs> to fantastic forum on wera 96.7 fm and streaming via wera.fm we are your community radio station i'm ulysses e campbell i am joined today by mike lunsford Drew Bittner and Roberto Ortiz. We were talking a little bit about the uh, 60. Well, I can't. You can't call it an anniversary because they're not around anymore. But um, 65 years since the formation of Hanna Barbera, which uh, some of you will not know, but you will know the cart, the characters, and some of the shows. Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like Scooby Doo. I mean, who, who you made? Uh, well, the, and that's there, there's a huge amount of gratitude that anybody who is, I would say, forty or younger, who would watch Adult Swim, yeah, because Adult Swim, which is like the, it's the adult version of Cartoon Network. Like for those people who were like me, who worked in retail or worked shift work, and you wouldn't get home until one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning, you would have all of these shows on there that were based on Hanna Barbera things, often using Hanna Barbera characters and making them do goofy, crazy things, like uh, Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, it was yeah. based on the Birdman cartoon. Like all, all of that stuff, like w- doesn't exist without Hanna Barbera, and like it, it's it's. It, it was crazy that like all these people did these like parodies of them, but it was almost a loving tribute in a way. You know, they say um, making fun of somebody is the sincerest form of flattery. Like it, that, that was exactly what that was. And another thing, basically, that people have to remember: we are older, so we probably get this better than somebody who might be forty and under. By that I mean that most people who are younger don't remember that there was a period between. 1960 and early 80s 
where animation as an art form basically was in crisis. Disney was not doing well. Uh, there was no money to be made specifically in animation. And one of the few studios besides Filmation who could make somehow it, make it work was Hanna-Barbera. Hanna-Barbera, DePatty Freling, um, there's a couple of others, but, but yeah, and they were going for the cheapest, lowest common denominator animation they could do because that but, was what the networks wanted. But they did it well. And, and, that's, and, they, and they did do it well. I mean, have you seen Scooby-Doo, for example, in terms of how well the first two seasons of Scooby-Doo, I mean, if, taking consideration basically that uh, the consideration budget, how well the concept of Scooby-Doo was. I think Scooby-Doo endured largely because of those two seasons. I think that that's what it is. I mean, they, they created a character concept with the, with the Scooby-Doo gang and yeah. the the Mystery Machine and the Monster of the Week format that they did, which they kind of pioneered. You know. Yeah, the conception of a lot of that stuff. And, and, you know, Drew, I'm really impressed with your analysis of the Flintstones and the Jetsons <laughs> from a couple of minutes ago. Because Still going sim- back yeah, to that, huh? Well, hey, hey, <laughs> no, but similarly with Scooby-Doo, uh, it, somebody had to explain to me that, hey, the duck, uh, Shaggy was a stoner. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's yeah. in the back. The dog wasn't really talking. You know, th- exactly. <laughs> That's why he was always hungry. It was like, oh, yeah. the munchies came down. It's yeah. like, hey. And think about like, think about how like integral all of those Hanna Barbera cartoons are to society at large now, especially pop culture. Yeah. Like, mm. there's so much stuff that we all do because of those things. Like the whole like. Oh well, who, who's the villain? Why it's Old Man Withers, the man who runs the haunted amusement park. <laughs> yeah, like that's all part of what we are now. Like it, we we'll joke. Like my my kid did it the other day. I was I was irritated about something, and he was like, "Would you feel better if you had a Scooby snack?" And I was like, "No." He's like, "What about two Scooby snacks?" And and the term Scooby Gang. Yeah, it, it was popularized yeah. by Buffy the Vampire Slayer, yeah. but it's become part of the part of the fabric of our pop culture. Everyone has a Scooby Gang now. Mm-hmm. And, and the cool thing is basically is that the contribution of Canaveras still continues to this day. As Mike basically starts saying, the upshoot of, of Hanna-Barbera was the Cartoon Network. What happened with the Cartoon Network? We basically end up with people with concepts like Samurai Jack. Like, uh, mm. and mm. all the work by, I cannot say his name to save my life, Jenny... Uh, Tartakovsky. Thank Tartakovsky. you. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, how what he's doing now, have you seen the stuff he's doing now with Primal? For the love of God. On how good the animation I is. Would, I would say that, you know, yes, uh, Hanna-Barbera is is one of the great tree trunks on which a lot of these things rest. Oh, my I God, would, yeah. I would make an argument for, like I said, to Patty Freling. I'd also make an argument for Jay Ward. Um, Jay Ward was doing extremely smart animation. I mean, smart storytelling with Rocky and Bullwinkle and, mm. you know, with Dudley Do-Right and all these other characters in a time when smart was, you know. Yes, but... But one thing that Hanna-Barbera did better is that they could tell that a lot of this, and I've read a little bit about this, how a lot of the old Disney animators, especially the ones that left the studio, were hungry to try different things. And mm-hmm. Hanna-Barbera basically offered them the opportunity to try different things. That's awesome. Even if it was cheaper and things like that, they were allowed way more liberty than, than what they got freedom, in sure. Yeah. And that's why you saw a lot of experimentation in Hanna-Barbera back in the 70s, specifically things like the Inhumanoids, mm-hmm. like uh, Tondar, the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff they did back in the 70s. And they hit a home run with the Super Friends back in the to the point that 
DC Comics almost dreads the fact that all the stuff that Hanna Rivera did back in the 70s and early 80s with the with superheroes because the version of what well, a lot of people think it's, of what's in their heads, yeah, it's in their heads yeah. based on what Hanna Rivera did with sure. them back in the 70s. Like Batman 66. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, so Hanna Rivera. Uh, it's it's not only a, I don't wouldn't be calling a tree trunk. I would basically call it a full damn tree in terms of how it's like Walt Disney is one tree and Hanna Barbera is definitely one of the big trees that it's to this oh, day yeah. still I mean, growing. In, in terms of in terms of influence, I think that Hanna Barbera has been more yeah. impactful on animation. I don't know. I mean, is it is it unfair to say that Hanna Barbera has probably been more impactful on animation than Disney in a lot of ways? I think I think on the small screen, yeah, I would I would yeah. agree. I think on the big screen, Disney for sure, because I mean, if you look at all the stuff that that Disney did in the early days, I mean, like the the whole I can't remember the exact term for it, but essentially like the multi pane yeah um, stuff that that Disney was doing in the mm. early days, like that's like really innovative, but on big screen, yeah. and that was their focus. They're like, let's put it in the movies, and Hanna Barbera was like, wait a minute, hang on. We got this thing, television, and like they really yeah. grabbed that and ran with it. So yeah. like I would yeah. say that like. I think they each had their own niche for for, uh, for sure, but they both like had a, a huge contribution. I think that when you come to comedy and you come to like, if you're gonna say like, what was the predecessor of The Simpsons? It's more Hanna Barbera than it is Disney for sure. Oh my god, oh, yeah. yes, yes, definitely. I mean, Family Guy and The Simpsons would not oh, exist yeah. now. Friggin', if we're from uh, Seth MacFarlane worked for Hanna Barbera. I'm he, he not talked, he talks about it at one point because he was saying when he was working for them, uh, Joe Barbera was getting up there in age and they were talking about what they were watching on TV. And Barbera just like chimes in. And he's like, hey, have you guys seen that show about that Jewish guy from New York, Steinberg? And they're like, you mean Seinfeld? And he's like, yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> like, he, he, he talks about like deal, like working in those studios when he was younger. So like, yeah, he's de- you can definitely see the influence in his stuff. I think what's, what's interesting, and it, this just occurred to me when we're talking about this, is that um, – Going back to my comment before, Hanna Barbera inspired a lot of creators who took what they did and took it, took the ball and ran with it and did their own thing with it. And I don't think that Disney has as much because I, the I, problem is Disney tends to be more corporate. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, 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 it's different. Again, it's different. It's different media. It's different spheres. It's different, different goals and agendas, and, and what they're trying to do is different. But I think that Hanna Barbera may wind up, like I said, being more influential ultimately because they inspired so many more people to do what they were doing and do it in 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 a modern, you know, it in this generation, in the next generation, and so on. From my so. point of view of animation, uh, Disney, I love all of them, by the way. Uh, I really do. Uh, but Disney tends to be more vision-focused. And Hanna-Barbera and now Warner Bros. Animation has a reputation of being a little bit more... And actually, Warner Bros. in general tends to be more uh, creative focus. In mm. other words, uh, Disney tends to basically has a specific vision that has been agreed to. And... Warner Brothers Animation and, and Hanna, which basically it's the merger right now of Hanna Barbera and Warner Animation, what it used to be, tends to be a little bit more flexible in terms of vision. Uh, it has a repo for that. And uh, and look at the work again of uh, when he, I cannot say his name again. Tartakovsky. Yes, Tartikovsky. or. <laughs> and, um, and a lot of our, even Steven Universe right now, which is basically is a direct descendant of basically all the stuff that we've been talking about. Sure. Uh, how that uh, uh, it's directly uh, the vision of Miss Sugar. Uh, 
and I cannot believe she's not in that, but yeah. But it's it's fascinating how influential they have been, specifically in pushing the, the work of animation in terms of an art form. And the funny thing about this is that basically Disney treats animation specifically like a very finely tuned machine. Mm -hmm. And Hanna Barbera sees this mostly as uh, something that's. Rock, rock band, like a rock, rock band. band. <laughs> yes, like a jazz. Yes, something yeah. that has to be done. Yeah. But both approaches are valid, but they're different. Mm hmm. Mm. Well, and uh, the other thing, I, we went way further down the rabbit hole on this than I had it's intended. It's a lot of fun. But, well, yeah, I mean, and, and, it's, and it's really significant is the other thing. So I'm not but so upset. But the other thing that I just wanted to mention that uh, was not equally influential, but certainly as noteworthy today is the fact that to, to Tron, from yes. Walt Disney, opened 40 years ago today in Jeez, theaters. I'm old. And Good God. Well, yeah, uh, and, and, but the fact, I, I remember how groundbreaking that was because it was one of the earliest films to use the uh, computer generated imagery as extensively as they did. Not as much as yeah. people think. It's only about 20 minutes of computer graphics in that movie. Well, and they combined animation, and but it was certainly extremely ambitious for the time. Oh my God, yeah. And, yeah. and, 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 and that's the point. But look, hey, that musical cue means it's time for us to take a short break because, of course, Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. We're a community radio station, and among other things, that means we're non-commercial. We rely on the ongoing generosity of our underwriters, sponsors, and listeners to operate the station. Please visit the website at WERA.FM or that of our parent organization, Arlington Independent Media, at ArlingtonMedia.org to find out how you can make your tax-deductible gift in support of community radio, community media, Today, did I mention it's tax deductible? ArlingtonMedia.org, WERA.FM. But look, the panel has a lot more to talk about in the second half of the show. I'd wanted to get into this. Uh, well, I don't. I don't know whether I should call it a leak or what. But this image of Namor, the Submariner, that uh, came out not too long ago and of course we're getting closer and closer to the release date of Black Panther 2 and rumored that Namor is going to be in it so we're going to speculate a little bit that in the second half of the show but stick around because we'll be right back after this And we're back on the Fantastic Forum here on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Drew Bittner, Roberto Ortiz, and Mike Lunsford. And when we took the break, I had just alluded to the fact that Today is the 40th anniversary of the release of Walt Disney Pictures' Tron. Now, we're not going to go down the rabbit hole on that at all, but I felt that given the nature of this film, the fact that 
it was one of the first movies to extensively use computer-generated animation, although, as Roberto has pointed out, it wasn't as much CG as people might think. The same with Jurassic Park. <laughs> well, yeah, but Jurassic Park was an artful combination of practical effects. The Stan Winston Studios built a whole bunch of actual animatronic dinosaurs. Um, it, it was very clever, the way that they combined a lot of different elements. Yeah. Similar to the way that Superman, the movie, combined front screen projection yeah. and rear screen projection and model use and mm -hmm. wire work and, and a bunch of other up. stuff. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and many of those films we just mentioned, because certainly Jurassic Park holds up extremely well. Superman the movie holds up extremely well. Tron, I haven't seen in a while. I, I personally, I thought in terms of the overall effects, that Tron legacy picture, I got to give it the chef's kiss because obviously with the advances in technology, you could do a lot more than that. But, but I digress because here in the second half of the show, I had wanted to address this uh, not controversy exactly, but, and hey, look, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, the sequel to the extremely successful Black Panther, opens on November 11th, and obviously we're in the home stretch to that, and Marvel, being Marvel, has done a masterful job at keeping a lid on any potential leaks that might have come out about that film, but now stuff is actually starting to come out. And one of those things is that this guy, uh, uh, Tenoch Huerta, and am I pronouncing his first name correctly? Is it Tenoch or is it ten something to, am I, I don't know. He's Mexican for all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, Puerto and, Rican, I don't and know. The <laughs> and the fact, look, don't, don't imply that about me. Like, I didn't say, hey, Roberto, uh, yeah, I know you know this. No. I, I was asking anybody. No dude, clue. You know. Yeah, well, in any case, it's interesting that apparently there's this Mexican guy yep. that they have engaged to play this character. And if you take a look at the images, yep. and if you haven't seen them, you can take a look at the Fantastic Forum social media, either our Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And you can see an image of the guy. Well, we're looking at it right now. Yeah, we're and we, right we now. are. <laughs> and uh, it's it's fascinating because, and depending on which image you're looking at, I mean, he looks pretty Aztec in this, but there's one where he's got a headdress and all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's, it's really fascinating. Yeah. And, again, a lot of speculation. I've heard rumors that there's going to be some sequence. It's a flashback sequence where uh, the conquistadors are trying to take Atlantis or something. Uh, I've heard all sorts of rumors about where Atlantis is going to be located uh, as opposed to the North Atlantic where I think they have it in the comic books. You know, now it's going to be off the coast of South America or something like that. Um, the fact that a lot of these Atlantean, well, the Atlanteans are blue-skinned, but, you know, the fact that Namor, their prince, uh, Namor, what the, the Mackenzie, yeah, uh, you know, is, is based on the name of his dad. But the fact that uh, he looks ethnic, 
and um, I'm just I'm fascinated by all that. I'm I'm curious what you all think, and of course, why is uh, he picking a fight with Africa? Uh, wait, wait, hold on, just a second, <laughs> uh, hold on, Jay, so because I did, yeah, there I you did go, listen, Mike. You, I was going to ask you. Yes, I listened to a pronunciation of it. It's Tenoch. Tenoch. Thank ah. you. Tenoch Huerta. Yes. Yeah. There you um, go. Mm-hmm. Okay, like if we're looking at the where civilizations grew and uh-huh. flourished, uh, I don't know. There might be a trend that like there really wasn't a whole big giant population bloom, boom in the North Atlantic. So this kind of makes sense. <laughs> and like honestly, like maybe I'm in the minority on this. And if I am, that's fine. I don't care. Like I'm cool. Make it. Make it Central America. Make it South America. Like add some flavor to this. Like I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be interesting. Oh, it I will think. be fun. As, as a counterpoint, yeah. Mike, I think this is the defining question of our civilization, and I don't think anything Obviously. could really possibly matter more. Yeah. <laughs> so so your yeah. flippant disregard of this issue is just really distressing to me. And uh, How dare I? How dare I not care? <laughs> well, and let's face winged, it. If the winged feet of, of Nemo. Those winged sandals wings. fall on your neck. Yeah. So uh, let's face it, though, because... San Diego Comic-Con is coming up in like two yeah. weeks, I Soon, think, yeah. Yeah. and all will be revealed. I'm sure that there will be a Marvel panel, in and there will, yeah, they'll be talking <laughs> about, the, exactly, and they'll be talking about this, uh, you know, Tenoch Huerta will probably be there, Beforehand. they'll probably do some big reveal, and so we'll know soon enough, but for right now, I, I'm have sorry. Yes. Mm. I, I have a question. Okay, Wakanda is supposed to be... In Africa. In Africa. Yeah, I get get that. But it's on the east side of Africa or west side of Africa? East. So, and South America, pardon, just checking, uh, because it's it's just me just trying to think this through. South America is closer to the west side of Africa, right? Yes. And Africa is huge, right? Yes. Huge. It is very large. uh, and, And... Pardon me. This the is question me. is, how do they have beef? Exactly. <laughs> how does it well, make have, any they sense? Ha- uh, hey, they have uh, vibranium. Okay. And Wakanda but. is the largest source of vibranium on Earth by virtue of this meteor that struck there it okay. may centuries ago. It may well be that Atlantis needs vibranium. Okay. Or okay. wants vibranium, but certainly is aware of it. And yeah. my understanding is, well, and particularly if you look at the comic books, there is Atlantean super science, and they are extremely advanced Good luck in terms of their level of technology. <laughs> well, the Wakandans are pretty advanced, too. Yeah, but I- this is one of the reasons why in modern Marveldom, uh, Namor has emerged as a good uh, foil for the Black Panther and for Wakanda because, uh, let's face it, the Black Panther, uh, he is a technologically sophisticated individual, uh, has augmented his abilities by virtue of that technology to where I like him to be competitive in any conflict with any other Marvel character. Now, that having been said, I also understand, and (laughs) rumors flying around about this stuff, that Doctor Doom could be involved here somewhere. And of course, Doctor Doom in the comic books is also Mm -hmm. a character that has interacted significantly and substantially with both the Submariner and with the Black Panther. Good luck at making that work because so many people have tried to make Doctor Doom work and 
Oh, they might. failed. I mean, I'm pretty sure they'll pull it off. But well, none of them are so, uh, What's interesting? this guy. Is as yes. I do my Google research here, it turns <laughs> out it turns out that Wakanda in the MCU uh-huh. is in a different spot than Wakanda in the regular comics. Okay. Because in the regular comics, uh-huh. it's like right near um and I just had it, hang on a second. In in the MCU, they're showing it right next to Uganda. Um, like south of Niger, Burunda, Libya, like directly below that. That would be Central then, Africa, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then in the regular Marvel universe, it's like right near Ethiopia. So okay. like pretty big gap in distance here as yeah. far as like where they would be. Yeah. Now that doesn't make it any really that much closer to um, Central America. Well, <laughs> like, I mean, it, 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 does sort of, it does sort of beg the question, how is an aquatic race going to go trekking through into Central Africa to start a, to start a fight? A landlocked country in Central Africa. Yes. Like, well, yes. uh, clearly, uh, the, the implication is that they have not always... This isn't the beginning of their conflict, is basically ah. what, what I'm saying here. And if yep. this flashback sequence is to be believed, and uh, again, who knows, we'll, they all will be revealed. But I understand this is part of the uh, trick with Doctor Doom also, because uh, apparently, Which again, is... from what I've heard, that Doctor Doom is going to be descended from the conquistadors. I'm sorry, who were, what? Yeah, that's uh, hey, that Depending on where you uh, look. Has anybody... And the current Marvel Cinematic Universe brought them a historic well, they're, book. They're, cha- they're changing. No they're kidding. changing that. There's a big difference between the culture of Central Europe and freaking Spain. It's well, different they're, they're, cultures. They're, they're changing who Doctor Doom is. My people know that very well. But you know, they're look, very he's different. Not Victor, he's not Victor Condum. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, oh my god! Yes, he has claimed Latveria, but even in the comic books, I mean, the guy claimed it. I mean, I, my impression. Well, I and I don't know. I thought I he came from there. I. I don't yeah, start his me to lie. From there, yeah. Oh, his mother. Yeah. My, well, his mother was I, a I gypsy. Thought. Yeah, that, but, but the gypsies again, moved around. Central, that's why they were gypsies. But that's mostly Central Europe. I, 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 yeah, well, again, uh, they're they're changing it. No kidding. You know, it's just but, like how now, you know, the Namor looks like he's I will pay money Mexican. to see the movie with somebody from Europe with me. Actually, I have some friends from Europe who are going to be saying, what the hell? I, don't I, know. I personally... Do these Americans understand how Europe works? Personally, uh, no. I'd settle no. for the Black Panther in the Black Panther 2, but, you know, it doesn't look like we're going to get that. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. Radio Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined by Mike Lunsford, Roberto Ortiz, and Drew Bittner. <laughs> and we've been yucking it up over this reveal or leak or, well, I'm going to call it a reveal leak because this um, uh, actor, Huerta, who's supposed to be playing Namor. Tenoche. Tenoche. <laughs> thank you. Tenoche. Um he has not denied any of this, and he was trolling fans after some of these images dropped. 
and I understand there was something from SpongeBob or something that he put up on his uh, Twitter page, <laughs> and it was almost mocking uh, this other image. But but nobody has said no. Then that's true. And of course, that looks really There's good. no such thing as bad publicity. Yeah, I thought it looked pretty good too. And that looks like something that is used for an action figure. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure this is like mm. art from a toy. So well, and that's that's what happened with uh, Thor Love and Thunder because some of the images that first came out were from the line of toys that yeah. was associated yeah. with the movie because of course today uh, much too well and I, I being an older guy when I was a kid you looked for toys for this stuff and they had none and now you can get them at McDonald's as part of the Happy Meal <laughs> they've got so many freaking tie-ins so again not that I'm upset it's a wonderful thing. I just wish that they had had some of this stuff when I was young enough for it to make a difference for me. So you really think this is a backdoor pilot for the Fantastic Four? Uh, I wouldn't. Well, I wouldn't call it that. I mean, who knows? I mean, I, I don't. If they are introducing, because, all right, let's face it. Almost everything in Marvel came from the Fantastic Four. That was in the original comics that was where a lot of these characters debuted okay so there's that now that having been said given the way that things unfolded in terms of the availability of these character rights mm -hmm. at the point at which marvel studios started making these individual films and the exceptional way that they have been received i don't know that i personally would characterize anything that comes out of this as like a backdoor pilot for Fantastic Four. I think the Marvel Universe owes so much to the Fantastic Four that I'm not going to try and quantify any of this. It's like whenever they, I mean, at this point, there's nothing I can do about it anyway because I don't work for them, but at this point, I'm waiting like everybody else. I was uh, delighted to see Mr. Fantastic pop up in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I'm going to be waiting whenever they do anything connected with this. If they happen to stick Victor Von Doom in, uh, who is, yes, the Fantastic Four's arch enemy, but such a major supervillain in the Marvel Universe uh, that you almost can't concentrate on that. I mean, it's sort of like what's happened with Luthor in DC. Yeah, he's Superman's arch enemy, but he's so much more than that yeah. Yeah. to the DC universe. So, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but uh, I don't I don't know that it applies. And considering that one of the producers of the movies is Victoria Alonso, who is uh, Venezuelan, uh, and I met her. Uh, she's really nice. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if basically they decide to go into the Spanish. Now that I think about it, they, the Spanish route is something they never tried before. So what the heck? Why not? <laughs> a lot yeah. of fans well, in South there America, is, there Brazil. Is a tie, in if I remember correctly, um, I only watched it once. But like, there's a tie to all of this in the Eternals, isn't there? Weren't they in Central America when one of them like drew? Uh, That's where Druid was, was. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, where Druig like left, and he's like, "Nope, starting my own uh, group yeah. of people. That's what we're doing." So like, there could be a tie here too with that. And like, I'm surprised that the only thing that we've had a tie to the Eternals so far was a mention 
of one character on Miss Marvel, and that's it. They well, still have not even addressed the fact that there's a giant, like, concrete statue of a of a friggin' um, celestial. celestial, like, in the ocean. Wait, wait, like, do, do you think they will have the, the balls to basically make, like, I cannot pronounce the name of Victor Bondu's nation, Latvia. Latvia. Yeah, Latvia is the real one. But yeah. into a South American country? I don't think they're going to make it South America. I don't think so. Yeah, Are you I mean, sure? No, I think it'll still be Central European. Yeah, but I, I think that they may take some liberties with doing People, put a pin on, conver- on this conversation. They, uh, could even, they literally could do the thing that like they alluded to in the X-Men when... Um, when you had Magneto go to South America looking for the Nazis. Like, it literally could be a tie there. Be like, hey, you know, we had our country, we were in Latveria, and then World War II happened, and they were looking for us, so we came here. Like, that wouldn't be the hardest tie to do. And actually, one thing they could do is basically, if they want to make... I cannot pronounce the name, damn it. Latveria. Thank you. Into a South American country, if you think about it in terms of Marvel, they have a big hole in terms of characters from... South America and specifically South America basically being a place of operation for Marvel, period. You know, I think there are better ways to go about doing that. And, you know, I, hey, Again, look, I've I, been on this conversation. Well, no, 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 I hear you. But <laughs> I, no, I, the one thing that I think about with this is in that um, Captain America movie that came out in the early 90s, how. They made some, it Italian. <laughs> yeah, how somebody decided. <laughs> that it made more sense to make the Red Skull <laughs> Italian rather than Sorry. German. <laughs> and yeah, no, no, it's laughable. It is. It is. I mean, a character like that. But so, and I, I think that went over so poorly that before you make a big dramatic change like that, well, yeah, but you, 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 you and you're gesturing to this, but it, there's the appearance of this guy and and they've already I mean again what I've heard is all about Atlantis but none of that is Latveria the only thing I heard rumor wise was that somehow doom was descended from the conquistadors who were going after Atlantis and yeah. if 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 word is true about this flashback scene maybe they'll figure out a way you know to make what would be work. awesome if this basically was like a uh, what was the thing that Muhammad Ali used to call uh, the punch uh, Ropa Dope? Yes. That basically we're so focused on Neymar that we're not paying attention to uh, Victor Don Doom. Well, it's like, it's like, oh, people are freaking out about Neymar and, and Marvel is like, why don't you see uh, Victor Von well, Doom? <laughs> we know nothing of this film. And let me tell you something. They're going to have to do an awful lot of misdirection. If you've got a Black Panther sequel that doesn't have the Black Panther in it. You're going to have to make an awful lot of moves Anyone for me. Who's going to replace mm-hmm. him in, in terms of if it's going to be the, uh, the Bax and Nine girl or is it going to be somebody else? You talk as if the Black Panther is dead. The Black Panther is not dead. Chadwick Boseman is dead. Yeah. Yeah. And I think all of this is a misdirection even though there have been public declarations about not recasting the character and understandably because it, this movie was so big in the African American community yeah. that I mean and people like people's grandmothers were going to see Black Panther and there is no association with the history of the Black Panther character in the Marvel universe so there is a lack of understanding when people say that they want to honor the late Chadwick Boseman 
and they want to do this by ending the character of the Black Panther. That that's not that that's not a way you observe this man. It's like you stopping know? Superman after Christopher Reeve died. Yeah, yeah, okay. you can't do that. I mean, and I've, I've talked about that uh, well, numerous times on I mean, the show. So one one thing that they could always do, and this is you know some some fans may say it's a cheat, but now that they've opened the multiverse, they could always have it be mm. that T'Challa from our Earth has gone out to explore and someone else came back. You know, so. I, I have been a big fan of what they used to do on the daytime soaps. <laughs> where oh, you mean, you mean like Terrence Howard, Don Cheadle? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. The yeah. role of Rhodey is now is being played today by Don Cheadle. <laughs> I don't, and I don't everybody have... acts like this is the same person, and oh, yeah. it's just fine. So I don't, uh, I don't have any problem with that at all. I think that that would be the easiest and smoothest way to do it, but I have the feeling that there's so much fan angst right now built up over. Like, is it fair to Chadwick Boseman? Is it fair to blah, blah, blah? It's like... And I feel like I, I don't think Chadwick Boseman would have had a problem with I'm them I'm sure he wouldn't it. have had a problem with it. In fact, I, don't I would expect that he would have wanted them to recast it yeah. because this character needs to go on. And, you know, uh, uh, speaking as an African-American, I got to say, I don't want the character of the Black Panther diminished simply because, you know, the, the tragic death of this man. I mean, I want the Black Panther to be as well and as widely thought of as Batman and Superman. How many different performers have played Batman? How many yeah. different performers have played Superman? You know, th this this character, even though this man originated the role um, and defined the role, all he did was establish the role and, yeah. that and somebody also, else needs to yeah. now pick up. And also, this is one of those things where I call it a media narrative that basically this not necessarily comes from the mainstream people, but it's something being pushed. Oh my God, I sound like one of conspiracy people. Like something <laughs> being pushed by uh, like the media that basically, oh, mm -hmm. Black Panther should die, blah, 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 blah. So I agree with you. And the people who are running Marvel are very smart. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're they're taking that into consideration. Yeah, but they got to be cagey, you know. And there's no reason if you, I mean, whatever you're gonna do, you don't have to say now because the man was barely cold. I mean, I'm like, yeah, let's you know honor him. Let, and and they're not recasting the role for this man. I would have been like, I right, let's get somebody else because there are plenty of actors who could play this role. But I understand and appreciate how you would want to take a moment, take a deep breath and say, hey, you know, we've got to figure out the best way to have this not adversely affect our Q rating. You know, because, of course, Marvel Studios is very concerned with the, yeah, the appearance of things. And uh, rightfully so, because they've got a brand that is worth billions. Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, if, for instance, if Tenoch Huerta falls by the wayside, then they'll find Elevenosh Huerta. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been holding on that one, Drew? <laughs> uh, a couple minutes. <laughs> that was very good. <laughs> I gotta say, oh my goodness. Yeah. But um, yeah, anyway, so look, we're out of time for this show. Uh, that musical cue has reminded us that... That was that, a bad joke, dude. You well, know, I can <laughs> think of no better place to end it up. <laughs> So I'd like to thank my panelists and you too for tuning in. Of course, Fantastic Forum 
is also available as a podcast. Thanks to our friends at the Great Geek Refuge. You can find it on the Great Geek Refuge website or on any of the platforms where you can find your favorite podcast. And we had some more recent episodes that just went up last week. So it's a wonderful time to get caught up. Um, Also, you can visit the website at fantasticforum.tv. We've got full episodes of the radio program available. We've also got episodes of the television version of Fantastic Forum, along with all the various segments broken out for your convenience. The show airs here on WERA in first run each and every Saturday afternoon from 4 to 5 p.m. We're working out some difficulties here at the station, but uh, once we do that, we'll go back to re-airing reruns of the show each and every Thursday afternoon. I should know more about that shortly, and I will share it with you as soon as I find out. So, you still got time if you want to go to BlurredCon to get there today or tomorrow. Uh, Check it out, and of course, enjoy the rest of your weekend, but come back again next week. Same bat time, same bat station. Have a good weekend, people.